Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. We usually admire a beautiful sunrise or, or sunset, and the effects of the different colours can be, you know, quite spectacular. Even, even in storm and cloud, stormy, cloudy weather, when the you know the sun breaks through, we can get um, you know quite spectacular effects. And also, uh, just recently, I've uh, seen some pictures that have been taken uh, just by amateur uh, photographers of the the Milky Way, the stars in the in the sky. Um, they've been really bright. It's been some particularly dark nights, and the um, array of stars are, are certainly spectacular. And in the in the Bible, in Psalms nineteen, we read. Uh, uh, David wrote, you know, the heavens to, uh, to glor- uh, declare the glory of God and um, the firmament or the sky reveals his, his handiwork. And, of course, we, you know, so often we you know, hear these different articles about the Big Bang caused this and the Big Bang did that. And, um, of course, in, in terms of we have uh, terms of uh, stellar evolution or the evolution of stars, these sort of things. But when I look at the, the, the problems and the unsolved problems in, in uh, astronomy and physics, and, of course, in, in astronomy when we're looking at very distant objects, not surprising, there's a lot of things that we don't know. But when we look perhaps... Um, consider these issues to me they they point to um, some to the fact that the creation story in Genesis just makes so much more sense that there was a super intelligent all-powerful creator God outside space and time a non-material God and the Bible tells us that God is a spirit. He's, he's not made up of molecules, atoms, and so forth, like our stars and planets and the universe is made up of matter. God's outside that. And, of course, I've spoken many times how our minds, also our thoughts, are non-material. They're not made up of, of matter. And um, these are, it's, And so there's this real... Um, to me, evidence of, of amazing uh, design out there. When I think of the um, uh, the Milky Way and, and these stars, as we, there's a, a, quite an interesting uh, problem that when we look at the rotation of these galaxies, we, scientists using the laws of gravity can calculate the theoretical speed of rotating galaxies and stars. We look at their mass and so forth. And when we um, look at the uh, predicted speeds that they should be from from gravity uh, as we move away, f- um, as we move further out in galaxies, as the outer the arms of the ga- galaxy spin, the predicted velocity or speed is very different from the observed speed. So we have these major inconsistencies from of what we can calculate based on the rules of physics and what we actually observe. And that's called the galaxy rotation problem. You can uh, Google it and, and look it up on the internet. One of the other things, of course, just closer to home is the, um, the 
coronal heating problem of the sun. And that is when we... And the sun, you've got the, the mass of the sun and then there's this layer of gases around the outside of the sun that is just so much hotter than the sun's surface. So the sun's surface, we uh, can measure it from radiation, just like, um, for example, during the uh, coronavirus outbreak, people's temperature is measured using a radiometer. We can, without touching someone, we can uh, measure their heat. And similarly, so we can measure the heat from the sun. And it's interesting, the surface of the sun is about 5,800 degrees Kelvin. So to get centigrade, subtract 273 from that. But they're the same size uh, degree uh, units. So anyway, it's very hot. But when we look at the outer corona, and this is this gaseous layer outside the sun, it's in the order of 1 to 2 million degrees. So let's let's have a look at that then. So the sun's surface is 5,800 uh, degrees above absolute zero. And yet this outer layer, this corona, is one to two million degrees and sometimes in some areas gets up to 10 million degrees. Now that is just phenomenally hot, really phenomenally hot. Uh, when we when we think about you know you know how hot boiling water is to get a scald, it's very painful. That's only a hundred degrees. And if we look at the you know the the flame the temperature of most hot coals in a fire, you're probably around about a thousand degrees. And if we look at the melting point of iron and steel, you're looking up at about one and a half thousand degrees. And so we're, um, when you think of something 5,800 degrees to the surface, but then getting up to a million degrees, that's a thousand times hotter than a thousand degrees, which is you know, pretty hot, the glowing red coals. Um, but there's an interesting uh, problem there in that how does it get so hot? You see, if the surface heat is just radiating out, then you can't make something... If, if you have an object radiating heat, second law of thermodynamics says that you can't make something hotter outside, so you can't accumulate heat. Um, in other words, the... Yeah, the, in your in your light bulb there, your tungsten filaments glowing at about two thousand degrees centigrade. So, um, it's you can't. And when you touch the outside of the bulb, it's it's not that hot. I mean, it's very hot, but it's not that hot. And you can't make it hotter than that because heat energy decreases. Um, and and it, it just can't self-concentrate. So you can't have a, a steel bar, for example, and then suddenly all the energy in that bar, which is above absolute zero, so absolute zero is, is about minus 273 degrees. So if we have a temperature of 20 degrees, then we're 293 degrees above absolute zero. So we can't suddenly have it that you have a steel bar and you can't suddenly have it that the centre of the steel bar goes down to near naught degrees and the outer edge of the steel bar then accumulates all the heat and becomes red hot. That doesn't happen. 
So this becomes a real uh, challenge. How can you make something hotter? How the heat energy just can't be radiated out. You can't radiate heat energy out and it become hotter. It's going to become less. And so how this um, outer layer of the sun um, gets so hot is still one of the unsolved problems um, that scientists are trying to figure out how that happens. And there's all sorts of uh, theories about whether or not these uh, gases out there that are now at a million degrees are heated somehow by magnetic fields uh, causing you know, massive collisions it's, um, and generating heat that way. But it's an amazing phenomenon, but that's what our sun is doing. And, of course, our, our sun out there, it's interesting, when we look at the creation account, God created the earth first and then the sun was created on the fourth day. And the sun provides a lot of interesting um, environments for the, for the earth. For example, it provides the gravity that holds our little solar system together. So it's almost the, the picture I have, and I know it's, it's different to how the Big Bang model would have us say that uh, the sun formed out of a condensing cloud of, uh, of gas and so forth. But we know that the laws of physics, that gases just don't, you know, um, clump together. The, the gravitational attraction just isn't strong enough. You have to have something that pulls those gases together um, in the first place. But, of course, the standard model says that this happened and that the sun formed in the centre and then all these uh, all the planets formed out around it. But the picture God paints is that he created the earth and then he created the sun and the moon, the moon around the earth to sort of balance the earth and produce tidal effects on the earth that uh, would um, clean out the lakes and cause this movement of water on the earth and other, other effects on the earth. And then he created the, the sun and it's almost as if the sun provides this gravitational uh, setup to allow and the stars. So he created this environment for the earth, which we know as the, as the universe and set the, um, the, the sun up. And, of course, the, if you look at it from this perspective, we see the sun is set up and we have around the Earth these different planets created. And, of course, the outer planets protect us from um, objects flying through space and this sort of thing. It's a really interesting balanced system and the Earth is just at the right distance of the sun. But um, it's the sun's gravity then that holds the solar system together and um, keeps the planets in their particular orbits. And then there are electric currents in the sun that generate really strong magnetic fields that are actually carried out into the solar system by what we call solar wind, which is a, a stream of electrically charged, glass, um, charged gases that move out from the sun in all directions. And it's these connections between the sun and the earth that actually drive our seasons, are responsible for ocean currents, the weather, climate, radiation uh, belts and some of the really special lighting effects that we observe like aurora and so forth. 
Now, the sun has some interesting properties in that uh, while it's in the centre of our solar system, compared to all the other planets, it's huge. It makes up 99.8% of the mass of the entire solar system, according to a NASA website that I was reading. That, that's, that's amazing. But there's also some interesting properties. At the equator... The, so at the equator of the sun, the sun spins around, makes one complete revolution about every tw- 25 days. But at its poles, the sun rotates once only every 35 days. So the, the outer parts of the sun, and it's a giant gas ball really, the sun is a giant gas ball it's, that is spinning and its outer parts are spinning at the uh, equator is spinning faster than at the poles. And um, according to the NASA uh, site, it's, um, the sun is uh, a ball of gas. It's about 92% hydrogen. Of course, hydrogen is a very light gas. It's a very simple element. Um, uh, one proton in the nucleus and one electron orbiting it. And, of course, you can have heavier elements with uh, neutrons. You can have deuterium and, and so forth and tritrium, but they're just uh, isotopes of hydrogen. And then it's about 7.8% helium, and then there are uh, some minor elements there. But the outer surface of the sun is um, more like about uh, 75% hydrogen and um, 23% um, helium. And um, that's because of these fusion reactions where the um, atoms are combined together, are being forced together under such gravitational fields that they are actually um, creating a new nucleus. And the leftover energy in that fusion, the the difference in nuclear energy is being released as as heat. It's an amazing reaction fusion. It um, occurs when the nuclear of um, the the centre of atoms are actually fused together and the leftover, as I said, energy as a result of the, the different mass combinations and nuclear forces is released as energy and that's how the tremendous amount of energy is being released at least to the surface of the sun but as I said scientists still don't know how these ultra high temperatures of millions of degrees are being created outside although they do estimate in the uh, centre of the sun as well that um, the the temperature is uh, very very high it's interesting that this, that energy that the sun produces really through a number of mechanisms supports life on Earth. It, it generates the sunlight that is used to provide the energy that in plants splits water. So plants have a little uh, machine in them, a little molecular device that can absorb energy, split water into hydrogen and oxygen, and then combine the oxygen... Um, and the whole the hydrogen with uh, the carbon dioxide that it takes that the plants take in, and uh, form carbohydrates, which are the sugars, and and become the food for life on Earth. Um, it's interesting that they believe again during uh, as a result of fusion that the sun's core is up around about twenty seven million degrees. 
This is right where these fusion reactions are taking place. And then when it gets to the surface, it's cooled down to about, as I said, 5,800 degrees. Um, and the, the estimate of the temperature at the core, of course, is based on uh, calculations based on fusion reactions. But this still doesn't explain how the corona, outer corona, can be 1 to 2 million degrees. Because as I said, once it gets to a temperature of 5,800 degrees, it can't re-increase in temperature again. So these are some fascinating, um, interesting uh, facts that I think about the, the sun. The... Diameter of the sun also is huge. It, it's about uh, 1.4 million kilometres or um, 864,000 uh, miles, which is um, nearly um, 110 times that of Earth, uh, Earth's diameter. So it's about 110 times the diameter of Earth. And its mass is about 330,000 times um, of Earth, so it's it's interesting. The immense size of this gas ball is just hard to believe, and yet it's not one of the largest suns. You know, when you look out, as they look out into outer space, the there are much larger suns. It's interesting if you go on Wikipedia and look up about the the sun, which I did. Uh, it has slightly different figures for the. Uh, the mass of the sun. It says that three quarters of the sun's mass is hydrogen and um, about 25% helium. But my understanding is that that may be really related to the surface of the sun. But it's interesting how these two authorities, NASA and Wikipedia, have those different figures. When uh, they look at the... um, when the sun was formed, they say the sun was um, went through some stages, and there's a, a very interesting problem with the Big Bang model for the sun. It's called the faint sun paradox. And again, it's something you could look up on the uh, internet on the uh, astronomy sites. The faint sun paradox. And this paradox is a problem that describes the apparent contradiction between the, obs- the observations of liquid water in the early Earth's history and the astrophysical expectation that the sun's output would only be 70% as intense during the time that the Earth was being formed. And this was an issue that was raised by astronomers uh, Carl Sagan and George Mullen back in 1972. And so essentially what they're saying is that according to the standard Big Bang model, uh, about uh, 3.8 to 2.5 billion years ago, um, as they model the sun's development, the sun was only about three quarters as bright as it is now. So this is as they work things out from the Big Bang model. But such a weak star would not have been able to sustain liquid water on the Earth's surface. And thus, according to their model, life should not have been able to develop. But again, as scientists look, the geological record demonstrates that the Earth has remained at a fairly constant temperature throughout its history, 
and that the young earth was somewhat warmer than it is today. And, of course, we, we know that because we find, you know, the remnants of corals and forests uh, down Antarctica. And um, so this is a, a major problem. So at a time where, you know, if we have this Big Bang model for the sun, it just doesn't fit that the earth could have been as warm. And this is a, a major, major problem. And I think as we look at these as these issues that come up, there are so many issues like this, like the, the, the faint young sun paradox, that point to the creation model in the Bible fitting. It works. It really fits the science that we observe today about the sun. Another uh, fascinating aspect of the sun is the sunlight. Uh, and this is what we, you know, wake up to. The morning we go outside on a sunny day, um, we generally feel pretty good on a, on a sunny day. And I think um, we often miss the sunshine after we have a number of days of, uh, of cloudy weather. Matter of fact, in uh, some countries... They have a conditional call called SAD, seasonal affective disorder, and uh, people can, you know, get depression and and so forth through not um, uh, being able to uh, experience that that bright uh, sunlight. And so, sunlight has uh, a number of uh, health uh, properties. It's um, of course, the sunlight uh, essentially is um, uh, the black, uh, sort of what we call the black body radiation from the, the sun, corresponding to its temperature at about 5,800 Kelvin. The sun emits um, a range of different types of electromagnetic radiation. Um, it produces some gamma rays as a result of uh, the nuclear fusion process. And um, these can then become high energy, uh, really high energy uh, photons. There are also gamma rays from solar flares and there are X-rays produced. And of course, the light that we get on Earth was made up of the ultraviolet light and visible light. And then there's infrared light. And of course, infrared Radiation is that radiation that carries heat. That's where when we go out in the sun and we feel the hot sun on us, that's the infrared radio, uh, radiation. Of course, the visible light is what we see, and we, we see it as sort of almost sunlight being slightly yellow. It's generally, you know, people want to paint sunlight or refer to it. It's got a bit of a yellow tint, but it's actually pretty close to white. And then, of course, there's the ultraviolet light. And we know that the ultraviolet light is the one that can cause damage to uh, skin, particularly um, ultraviolet uh, B and, um, and C. But ultraviolet B is a... Uh, so there are three different types of ultraviolet light. So it just really refers to the, the wavelength range of that particular type of uh, ultraviolet light. They, and they have slightly different... Uh, biochemical uh, reactions or effects on uh, living matter. But in particular, um, vitamin, uh, ultraviolet B is the uh, form of ultraviolet light. When it hits our skin, it's responsible for producing vitamin D. And so this is where we 
have the issue now that we need to protect ourselves from getting skin cancer or damage to the DNA as a result from the sunlight exposure versus the fact that we need to get sunlight onto our skin to produce vitamin D, which is an important vitamin, particularly for uh, bone health and um, you know the general development of um, and, and general healthy development. Um, one of the reasons, of course, that we have a lot of the in, uh, skin cancer problems is that the ozone layer, so this layer, a special layer of, of um, gas um, ozone is um, three oxygen atoms combined. Normal, uh, the oxygen air is two oxygen, but ozone is three. And this uh, absorbs a lot of the dangerous radiation that's coming from the sun. But our uh, number of refrigerants that we've used, um, chlorine gas, a number of other chemicals that we release into the atmosphere has caused major damage to the ozone lowering layer in large regions of um, over the surface of the earth. And in those areas, this allows more of the damaging ultraviolet light to get through and, of course, the potential for uh, skin cancer increases. But on the other hand, uh, sunlight plays an important role in our health in terms of the light actually entering our eyes um, uh, can travel down a little optic pathway, a little optic uh, canal that actually takes the light from our eyes physically down to the pineal gland and um, in the brain. And uh, this uh, sunlight then helps the pineal gland regulate such things as our blood pressure, our cholesterol levels, our blood sugar levels, our, uh, uh, the menstrual cycle in women and so forth. So this sunlight is actually, you know, very, uh, very important. And it's interesting how, uh, again, life on Earth is attuned to the sunlight, this light that is produced by the sun. And I think this, this connection between life on Earth and the sun again, points to a created system, not something that arose randomly by chance. All these things, in my mind, point to little clues that the creation story fits. The creation story that we find in, or account that we find in Genesis, really fits the scientific data on what we observe today on our planet. This gives me confidence that the Bible account of God creating a new heaven and a new earth is feasible and realistic. And this also gives me hope. We see the uh, social problems, the health problems in the world, the uh, growing uh, problem of deforestation, uh, pollution of the oceans, all these things point to the limitations that we have on our planet, not to mention the growth in the Earth's population. These are all signs that we are heading for a crisis situation. And the Bible talks about that too and, and talks about how that will be the situation just before God returns to earth as, as Jesus Christ. But praise God, 
The Bible outlines the plan of salvation for us. You've been listening to Faith and Science. To re-listen to these programs, remember you can Google 3ABN Australia or one word, .org.au and click on the listen button. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 